0: Anybody remember back when you were a kid, maybe you are a kid, a kid at heart, (laughs) anybody remember a time going on long trips with your parents, riding in the car, cross country, anybody? Riding, where's some places you've been riding in the car? Can you think of any? Or you just instinctively raise your hand? Carlsbad Caverns, it's a good place, been there. San Diego. Drove from San to San Diego. That's a long one. Where? San Diego, Wyoming, Laramie, Wyoming. I've never been there. <laughs> I remember driving as a kid going to um, Cloudcroft, New Mexico. You ever been there? They have a. Uh, they're famous for having the highest Golf court elevation, golf course elevation in the world. Never played it, but um, I had some, uh, some cousins who had a cabin out there, and we'd go hang out for a week. And then I also remember this one. I mean, it really stands out in my mind. Driving to Georgia, my great grandmother lived in Georgia, and we would go and hang out there for a while. And uh, those trips were were, were long. Um, some of you went on much longer trips than those. Um, and I, can, I can remember as a kid sitting in the back of our van um, and either listening to music on my Walkman, it wasn't a Walkman, it was the Walmart brand, you know what I mean, uh, listening to music uh, or just looking out the window. Sometimes mom would read a book, I think we read all the Anne of Green Gables in the course of our trips, or we would just stare out the window. That's not the case anymore. Going on trips with kids these days is way different. And as a parent, I would say way better. <laughs> um, you pop in a DVD and you're good to go. You don't have a DVD in your car like we didn't. You just go up to Walmart, buy a little DVD thing, and you throw it up there. Uh, they got them for cheap up there. And you're good to go and you don't have to worry about it. The screaming, you're just watch, you know, Anna and Elsa and we're good to go for the next hour and a half. Um, and it, it's it, it's very different. It's still, you know... Long, it still takes a while. We drove to I think Florida a couple of years ago with the kids, and uh, that was uh, a journey. Um, <laughs> That was a journey because actually, I mean, it was long, but really it was uh, interesting. And when you say journey, sometimes you're thinking it's a very interesting trip. Uh, it's because of the the hotel we actually stopped halfway to stay in was a very interesting place. Uh, and many of you can relate to that, stayed in very interesting hotels, thinking, let's wake up as early as possible and leave here as quickly as possible uh, so we can contract as little things as possible. But uh We went on these long trips, and, you know, they lasted maybe a day, maybe two days. How long did it take you to get to Wyoming? Do you remember? 20 hours. Straight shot? Man, man alive. A a, a day, maybe 20 hours, maybe a couple days, maybe three days, depending on where you're going. Um, But we're going to look at a guy today who didn't just spend a day or two days or three days in a vehicle with his kids, He spent a year in a vehicle with his children and every animal in the world at the same time. So imagine riding in your vehicle for that long with your children for that, with all those animals taking care of all of that. You know, you can't just say we're going to pull off on the side of the road kind of deal, be like, we're talking about Noah. He gets a little frustrated with Sham. He just tells Sham to go mess with the lions for a while. You know, we've got to take care of the situation. Just got to calm down. i got to be by myself for a little bit, you know, uh, Ham. You're you're, you're driving me nuts. Well, we're going to look at Noah today. And uh, however long the trips we went with our kids or went as kids, nowhere near as long the trip Noah had with his. Uh, He was in the ark for one year before he got out. Now, that's a long journey. Uh, to be in there. It's a long journey at all, but to be in a confined space with people for that long, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to have issues. Now, the Scripture doesn't record those issues, doesn't tell us what's going on in there. Undoubtedly, they're, you know, he's, they're having probably some devotions. And if you ever saw the Bible miniseries, I love the way it's depicted in that, Noah telling his kids about creation and and, and telling them of all that the Lord has done for him and them up until that point. But they were also real people, so they had real issues. The same issues you had getting ready with your kids this morning, same issue Noah had with his as well. And so they're going to go on this long journey. But before we get to that passage, we're going to be in um, Genesis chapter 6 today. Uh, If you're going to use a Bible in the pew, it's uh, page 5. I think you can find that one. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. All the notes and everything are also on uh, our website, duqueen.church. Uh, you can, if you're here in the room, slash sunday You can find all that there. Uh, it's also just a big button on the main page of our website. Um, Noah was in, was a unique person, and God picks him out for that very reason. In Genesis chapter six, verse five, we're going to start, and Noah is unique because he's different from everybody else in the world. Everybody else in the world is having some issues. Look at what Genesis chapter six, verse five says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I don't know if you picked up on that, but there's a lot of words, a lot of descriptors there in verse 5 saying about how bad the world is. Okay? We think the world is bad now. Imagine describing it in these terms Man is wicked, the wickedness is great. Every single intention of the thought of the heart of man, of human humanity, is only evil continually. Only evil. I mean, that's all they think. Wake up in the morning, evil thoughts. Go throughout the day, evil thoughts. Go eat lunch, evil thoughts. Go to lay down at night, evil thoughts. It says continually, constantly thinking, evil thoughts. And and, This is God. He created humanity to have a relationship with him. And now almost every single person alive at this point, with the exception of Noah and his family, everyone else is constantly thinking evil, constantly thinking anti-God thoughts. Look at verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we have the Lord's disappointment with most of humanity. And then the exception to, to God's disappointment is Noah. But notice the wording of the Lord's disappointment. Because the focus of the passage is is on humanity wanting to live according to their own set of rules, wanting to do their own thing, think about evil continually, instead of thinking about God's abundant freedoms, about God's abundant love. And Noah is is different than that. People just wanted to do whatever they they liked to do. They just didn't want to be hindered by anything. And and, uh, Noah is contrasted from the rest of humanity. In these next two verses, uh, in actually verse 8 and 9 and 10 following, he says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now notice that. Look at that on, on the screen. He was blameless in his generation. It doesn't say he was blameless to his generation. I think oftentimes we try to live as though no one can accuse us of anything. He was blameless before God while his generation was alive. So he was blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So he has these three sons. He's walking with God. He's blameless before God in his generation, in among everyone who's living. He's a righteous man he's contrasted with all of humanity remember humanity is said to only think evil continually and it says here noah not like them is blameless before god he is righteous before god everyone else have, have they have chosen not to trust god in the slightest but noah has chosen to live in faith and it's because of that faith that the world's about to change verse 11 now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the whole earth. So there's corruption everywhere and violence everywhere. So obviously their world was different from ours, right? You know, there's violence everywhere, there's corrupt hearts everywhere. Verse 13. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Now, a cubit was about, one cubit was about a foot and a half, give or take, because they didn't have measuring tapes back then, and so what they would do is they would measure from their elbow to their fingertip. And so, obviously, you know, the cubit differed depending on who's doing the measuring, uh, but that was about what a cubit was. So when he says 300 cubits, that's about 450 feet. Its breadth, that's you know uh, how wide it is, is 50 cubits, so 75 feet, and its height is 30 cubits. That's 45 feet. So this is a big arc. Verse 16, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, foot and a half above. Set the door in the side of the ark, in its side, make it with lower, second, and third decks. So the thing's 45 feet tall, so each deck maybe was about 15 feet. Uh, He says, so this is what it's supposed to look like, so make it like this. But I want to point out something very interesting that I didn't realize until I started studying for this a few weeks ago. Uh, We've all heard about Noah's ark, right? Noah's ark. Uh, There's a recreation of these dimensions of an ark uh, up north, but... Uh, even people who don't believe in God, even people who don't believe in Scripture have heard of Noah's ark. But that word ark is very interesting. I'm going to tell you why. Uh, it's developed from the King James translation. But the literal translation of that word ark from the Hebrew, which is what this was written in, you know what it means? Box. So God didn't tell Noah to go build a boat. He said, go build a box. Box. That same word is often used for coffin in Scripture, box. So God says there in verse, uh, what verse was that? Verse 14, make for yourself, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He says, make a box, build it out of gopher wood. So he tells Noah, which is the title of the message today, build a box. Go build a box. Whatever context Noah had, he may not have known what a boat was. There's, you know, there's all kinds of scholars that think about different things and what could possibly be going on here. But God tells Noah, build a box. He doesn't use the word for boat. He uses the word for box. He, doesn't, he also doesn't tell Noah to, to build the box on water. He just says, build it. He just says, build this box. He doesn't tell Noah that Noah is going to need to build this box so that it can float and Noah's going to have to live in it for a year. He doesn't tell him he's going to have to occupy the box for a year. He doesn't tell him that. All he tells him is, build it. You just do it. He he doesn't tell him that it's going to have to house every land creature and his whole family for that whole year. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't tell him how long he's going to be in it. He doesn't tell him how long it's going to take to build. He doesn't really even tell him what it's going to have to withstand until it's done being used. All that God tells him is, build the box. Just build it. Here's the dimensions. Build it. Use the wood. Make planks. uh, uh, Cover it with pitch. He doesn't tell him it has to be waterproof. He just says, do this. Build it. Build the box. God says that he will bring the water if Noah will simply obey by building this box. Noah had to trust that God would take care of what would be done with the box once it was built. Noah didn't need to know what was going to happen to the box. Noah didn't need to know everything that was going to take place. All that Noah needed to know was the next step that needed to be taken, which was build it. Now, how often in our lives, though, do we want to know everything? Do we do we like to know everything? We don't want to step into something that we don't have all the details about. We don't want to 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 advance or take that leap of faith. I watched that clip this week in in, in talking about uh leap of faith. This series called Big Faith, you know, that clip in uh Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, where he's gotta take the leap of faith, and he takes a big step like that, and he and he goes, and it ends up there's a walkway there. And uh Uh, He didn't know it was there until he took the step. Noah didn't know what was going to happen until he built the box. He had to trust that God would take care of all the other steps. All that he knew was the next thing God wanted him to do, which was build it. Build it. He didn't have to know the other stuff. He just had to trust that God knew the other stuff. And that's a struggle for us. I mean, me. That's a struggle for me a lot of times, is I want to know the details, I want to know all the details about what's going to be going on. I want to know how long this is going to take. I want to know uh, 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 how long I'm going to have to be operating in this way. I want to know all the opposition that's going to come against me when I step out and do this so that I can bow up and be ready to face whatever's coming. But that's not what it's about. We have to have the faith of Noah and just trust that God can take care of all that stuff. And he's just given me the next assignment he's given me, which is build the box. Build the box. The box and trust the details. Trust everything else to God. And building a box may not be, you know, a sexy thing. Building a box may not be a ladder climbing thing. Building a box uh, may not be the marketplace disrupting thing, the insta worthy thing. Building a box is, is just what it is. It may very well not just save your life, but change the course of human history. It may be simple. It may be rough. It may not look great. But God gave it to you to build, whatever that box is. And the box he gave you to build is different than the box he gave me to build. I'm talking figuratively here. He's given you an assignment that he's given you and only you in your gifts to be able to accomplish. Whether you are 8 or 98, if you're breathing and following Jesus, he's given you an assignment to accomplish that only you can in the gifts he's given you to do. So you have to build your box, and there's a struggle there, though, because following God and not knowing all of the details may not always make sense from my perspective, from my perspective, but truthfully, if you really think about it, think about humanity, think about their their issues, um, corrupt, violent, having sin ingrained in their very nature, my perspective is twisted my perspective is corrupt my perspective is is twisted by conformity to a world system that is perverted by sin that has sinful actions all over it that my, my, my perspective is skewed by a world's perspective that sees sin as normal and so when I try to view what God is asking me to do from my perspective that is skewed from sin, I'm not going to see it as it truly is. And so when God tells me to build a box, when God tells me to do something, it may not make sense from my perspective because my perspective is messed up. And so I have to make a decision in the moment, am I going to trust that God knows what he's doing or that I want the, the thing he's telling me to do to make sense from my perspective? Even though my perspective is wrong, much of the time. It's like trying to look through the world uh, or try to look at the world through uh, a kaleidoscope. You can't see where you're going. It may look pretty for a moment, but you're going to bump into stuff all over the place. You need God to be telling you where to go, the steps to take, what the next thing is He wants you to do, what the box is He wants you to do. I mean, for example, you know, our world system tells us to do one thing, like, for example, the, the, the more money you have, the better off you are. We may not th- want to say that as Christians, but in the back of our minds, it's there because of our American culture. The more money you have, the better off you are. But that's not so with God. You know what God says? It's in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Trust God for what he's going to provide today. If you were, I, I mentioned it this week in that live prayer thing we've been doing all week. How many of us have ever lived that section of the Lord's prayer out? Give us this day our daily bread. I haven't. I may not have any cash in my wallet, but I had a credit card in there. I can go make my own provision down at McDonald's. I don't trust God with my provision for today, if I'm being honest with you, and how I live and how I act. But if I were to pray that prayer, God, give us this day our daily bread. It's a whole new concept of how we're going to live our lives. A whole new level of trust. It's Noah trusting God when God says, build a box, and Noah's got to go build it having no idea what's about to happen. Does he trust God enough there in that moment? Do we want to trust God even though our perspective says what God is telling us to do is absolutely ridiculous? It's ludicrous. It makes no sense. My education, my experience tells me this is dumb. God says, do it. Am I going to have the faith to do it even though I may look dumb, even though I may be ridiculed because of what I'm doing? Imagine Noah's friends coming to him while he's building this giant box. What are they going to be yelling and shouting at him? What are they going to be yelling and shouting at his kids? It's one thing for somebody to yell and shout at you. It's totally different when somebody's yelling and shouting at your kids or yelling and shouting at your spouse. And undoubtedly, they're all helping. I mean, Noah, he's married, he's got three kids, and he's, there's three kids, have wives, and they're, as, as we can glean from what happens, they're all participating in the building of this ark. And so the things that are most likely being said to them are very unkind things, and yet they persevere in building this box. And so what I have to understand is that my perspective cannot be trusted. My perspective cannot be trusted. My perspective cannot be trusted. It can't be because my perspective is messed up by sin. Even though my perspective is all I can see and so I tend to rely on my perspective, my perspective is messed up because of sin. My perspective cannot be trusted. And so I have to shift my perspective to one of faith, and in faith realize that only God can be trusted. Only God can be trusted. Not what I see, not what I think, not what I determine, only what God is directing. And when God says build that giant box, I just need to start going. Just go and and start hacking at a tree to get the wood and start building the box he's asking me to build. So God says build a huge box. I can trust that God will know what to do with the box when it's built. I don't need to know there. All I need to know is he said build it, so I build it, and he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of what's coming down the road. He'll take care of where it's going. Because if you really think about it, and maybe this isn't you, maybe it's just me, if I knew what the intended outcome was of the thing God's asked me to do and the length of time it takes to get there and the amount of struggle that I was gonna face, I would try to take a shortcut. I don't know about you guys. I, you know, if God's gonna say this thing's gonna take a hundred years, say, well, God, you know, I mean, I could pop up a YouTube video and we could get this done in like three months. I don't need to wait this much time, God. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that much time going by and trying to do what you asked me to do, God. Let's get this done a little bit faster. That's, I mean, God doesn't tell Noah how long it's gonna take. Is it just me? If you knew all that, would you try to take a shortcut? I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm up here telling you, I would absolutely. Me and Sheila, me and we're together, Sheila. We're, we're linking here. Uh, I would absolutely. Did it, we need feedback, guys. I Man, I told you a couple weeks ago. I preached to an empty room for three months. You got to talk to me. We'll go back to that. I'll preach to an empty room again. We got to have be vocal here. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. So make sure you're there and not just statues. Um, I would try to take a shortcut. I would try to go around and get there faster. Maybe not in a big way, maybe not try to outright you know, disobey God by doing the opposite of what he's asking me to do, but in just little, you know, little small ways, just chip away, just try to take a shortcut to get there faster. But attempting to shortcut God's process will inevitably shortchange God's purpose. Attempting to shortcut God's process will inevitably shortchange God's purpose. You know, we saw a few weeks ago, looking at Abraham, God gave him a process, and Abraham waited 11 years and had enough of the waiting, and he messed up, and he stepped way outside of God's process. And he had to be redirected for 14 more years to get back to where God wanted him to be. Who knows if if on year 12, God was going to bring him the fulfillment of the promise. But instead, on year 11, he took a a way big detour to get out of God's plan. And so he had to end up waiting a total of 25 years instead of 12. We don't know. We don't know. But when we try to shortcut God's process, God's purpose gets shortchanged and we miss the the, the true, powerful fulfillment of what God has for us in his time with his strength and his purpose for us. So don't try to shortcut God's process. He may be growing you to be ready to handle what is yet to be and you don't see it until you're on the other side of it. So when he says build a box, you just start building. No matter what people are saying, you keep building. No matter what you face, you keep building. No matter the health crisis that comes at you, you keep building. No matter what family member gets arrested, you keep building. No matter what job things happen to you, you keep building. Because the building is your responsibility. The outside influences That's up to God. You keep your eyes on the prize. God said, the next step for me to do is build. As I've mentioned, God may have a 99-step plan for you, and building the box is step three. So you keep building until he brings you step four. Don't stop until he's ready for you to have step four. Keep doing the last thing he told you to do. Don't shortchange God's purpose. But Noah didn't shortchange God's purpose. Noah didn't take a shortcut. Noah built this thing. So God tells him build a box. And the God keeps telling him. He kind of gives him an indication of what's going to happen. Not what Noah's going to do, but what God's going to do. Verse 17. He says, For behold, God says, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. So his responsibility is to keep all the animals alive. (laughs) That's, That's pretty weighty. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of all the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Does it say Noah, Noah complained to God? Noah questioned God? forever and, and just didn't do it. No, it just says Noah did this. Noah did it. Now the thing that jumps out to me there a lot does. But right off the bat, he says go and bring in all the animals. I would be thinking how? How am I supposed to get all the animals into the God says you bring them into the ark and you keep them alive. Okay. I might could get a dog. I might could get a cat. Maybe I'll forget the cat. I might get, you know, try to trap something and bring it in. Uh, But how am I supposed to get all of the animals in the ark? Well, it doesn't really say. But what I think happened is God did it, and Noah just had to be a willing participant in what God was going to do. There's no way Noah's going to be able to round up all the animals while building the ark in the time frame he had. he had. to. God had to be the one to bring it in, and Noah had to be willing to be a part of what God was going to do. I mean, how's Noah going to bring ants into the ark? Why in the world would Noah bring termites into the ark? <laughs> but God had to be able to accomplish this thing. So God brings them in. Um, look at what happens next. Jump down to chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, of birds and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So they all went into the ark and a week later, the water came. The water didn't come the second the door shut. It says they went into the ark, and then seven days later, the water came. So again, if you're Noah, let's scratch that. If you're Noah's wife, and y'all get into this big box that your husband just built, and he says, water's gonna come, day two, nothing happens. Day three, nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're cleaning up animal mess and you've got all that food. Day five, nothing. Day six, nothing. You think you'd be quiet during that time and say, Noah, did you spend all that time building this box and we're just sitting here with all this gross? And day seven, finally the waters come. Now notice what God does. Jump back up to verse 17 in in chapter six. God does not mention rain, which is interesting. It says, he mentions in verse 17, he says, I will bring a flood of waters. That's how he phrases it. And back down in in chapter 7, verse 6, it says, the flood of waters came. So the way it's described is a flood of waters. There's some really, really smart people, way smarter than me, who think up to this point in human history, there hadn't been rain. In, In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when it mentions Noah, it says that Noah saw things that he had not seen before, and they take that to mean rain. Possibly, I don't know, I wasn't there. Maybe some of you were. I wasn't there. Uh, uh, Don Hinder told me this a little bit ago. He didn't know Noah back then. That's right. Uh, and so w- whatever happened, all this water came, flood of water came, and Noah trusted God. He trusted God during the building. He trusted God during the seven, uh, seven days of waiting for the floodwaters. He trusted God during all that time. He trusted God, that God was going to take care of it. And for him, that was the end of the conversation. I trust God. God's got it. God said, build, I built, and now everything's up to him. I'm just going to wait on him to do whatever comes next. He's had to trust that God was going to do it, and he did. He didn't wait. He didn't, didn't hesitate. Because a lot of times when God tells us to do something, when we hesitate, when we wait, that's when other voices begin to creep in and try to talk us out of what God told us to do. And it can be somebody else's voice, complainers and, 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 and disbelievers, or it can even be our own voice. A lot of times it is, complaining and not believing in the impossible thing God told us to do as we're supposed to build this box. Noah doesn't wait. He just starts. He just acts, just jumps in and does it. You see, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the story of the explorer, Cortez. He had been assigned to explore Mexico. And they sailed there in their ships, and they got there, but some of his guys didn't like it. They wanted to go home. They were going to mutiny, steal some of the ships, and go home. Cortez caught wind of this, and so he destroyed his ships. So they had no option but to do what their mission was to do. A lot of times, I'm not that confident. I want the safety net. I want the just in case this thing goes south. Or as something we're not comfortable talking with, just in case God doesn't come through, I want to have a backup plan. I want to have a backup plan just in case God doesn't do what he said he's going to do. I want to be, have that net there to catch me just in case. No, it didn't. He put all his chips into this bucket. He was going to build his box and let God take care of the situation you know, you may try to talk yourself out. I've tried to talk myself out. Uh, but we, 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 can't get, we can't let the conversation in our own mind get to that point. We have to act. If you feel more than 50% that God's asking you to do something or telling you to do something, you've got to jump and you've got to do it. Uh, you've got, God's given you the next thing to do, build the box. And you've got to build it until he tells you something else to do. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Because if you're standing still, when God had to take a step, then we're living in disobedience. But if you're not more than 50% sure that that's what God wanted you to do, then you're not supposed to move. You're not supposed to take that step until God tells you. You say, "May I really don't think this is God. Then don't take the step because then you'll be stepping into disobedience. If you're more than 50% sure that that's what God has for you, then jump. Take that step. We saw a few weeks ago that we will never be 100% sure in this world of what God's telling us to do. We will only—it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you weren't here, didn't watch online, I can see it on some of your faces, so I know you weren't. I know some of you were here and you're blanking right now because I fell asleep during that part of the service. But uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul tells us that in this world we can only know in part. We will not know fully until the next life, until heaven. And so we can only know in part here. And so if you're more than 50% sure that's what God's saying, then you've got to do it. If you're less, then you've got to wait until God gives you more certainty, more uh, uh, confidence in what you're going to do. You say, but if I'm 53% sure and I take that step and it fails, well, then God knows that he has somebody he can trust, somebody that he can have faith in that will do what he has to do, and you will be further down the road than you were before. You know, Pixar, the, the animation company, has a philosophy that was developed from one of their directors. When they would get into a meeting, all of their directors, and somebody would present an idea of what the next movie would be. And they would debate. They would have these debates and they would vet the idea well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? What decision will we make? And these meetings just went on for hours and hours and days and days. And finally, one director said, We just have to make a decision and we can fail faster. And then we can realize we're in the wrong place and make a move to get to the right place. We can course correct and be further down the road than if we just had waited and vetted the idea to death. A lot of times we do that when God tells us to do something. We try to run through all the possible scenarios in our brain of what might happen. And in doing so, we end up in inactivity, missing the train God wanted us to get on. When he just wanted us to move with him. And we try to think through everything. Well, what if this and what if that? Well, what if this? Well, it doesn't matter what if. God said go. God said build. He would take care of all the what ifs. You just have to go and move. If he hadn't said go and move, then by all means, don't. But if he did, then you got to jump. Then you got to go and do what he wants you to do. Sometimes faith is active by waiting. Sometimes faith is active by acting. But however it is, active faith is what faith is. Faith is active. It cannot be inactive. There's no such thing as inactive faith. That's like saying you have dark light. They're opposites. Inactive faith, those two, phrase, those two words are opposite. Inactive faith. You can be active in the waiting and you can be active in the doing, but you're active in doing what God told you to do. You do what God told you to do wherever you are. If God told you to do this thing, then you keep doing that thing until he tells you to do something else. If he told you to do something else, you do that. Don't do the last thing. Do the next thing he told you to do. Whatever God told you to do, do it. Faithfully do the last thing God told you to do until he tells you to do the next thing. Faithfully do the last thing God told you to do until he tells you to do the next thing. Until he tells you to do the next thing, you keep doing what he already told you to do. Even if the thing he told you to do is something he told you to do five, 10, 15, 30, 40, 70 years ago. If he told you to do something, you keep doing that thing. You say, well, the thing God told me to do you know, 50 years ago is something he told me to do back then and now I'm so far down the road I can't go back and do that thing. Well, if God's still laying that thing on your heart, then you gotta go back and do it. The detour you've been on is so far out here that you may have to return to that thing. If he's still laying it on your heart, then you got to do it. You say, but man, if I go back and do that thing now, I'm too old. I can't do it now. Well, if God's laying it on your heart to do it, then yes, you can. Yes, you can. When did God call Moses? When he was 25? No, when he was 80. And he had a 40-year job for him to do. You say, well, I'm too young. I can't go and do that thing. I'm too young. I can't get out there and do it. That's what Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah tells God tells Jeremiah to go and do this. And Jeremiah says, God, I'm way too young. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to do what, what, what you're telling me. God says, that's not up to you. It's your job, Jeremiah, just to say what I tell you to say. Them listening's up to them. I'm going to give you the words. They're going to do the listening. So whether you feel like you're too young or you feel like you're too old or you feel like you're just right, like Goldilocks is porridge, then you've got to do what God tells you to do. And keep doing the last thing until he tells you the next thing. Wherever you find yourself in your journey. I remember Craig Rochelle used to say it like this. He said, for the longest time in my life, I felt like I was too young. Everybody kept saying I was too young. And now all of a sudden I find myself and I feel like I'm too old. When was I ever just Right? <laughs> When was I ever in the right spot? And the thing he was trying to communicate was, I was always in the right spot where God wanted me with what he gave me to do in the moment. So wherever you find yourself, you're where God has you to do what he has for you to do. And Noah was a man of faith. And he did the last thing God told him to do, build a box. Box was built, God said, get in it. And he was in that box for a year until he was able to get out. What is the box God has told you to build? What is the thing in your life God has told you to do? What may be the last thing that he has told you to do, that he has instructed you, given you to do? What is the next thing? Maybe he's already laid something on your heart that was from you know, a few months ago and you're not ready to go back to that thing. It makes you uncomfortable to think about what God has told you to do. But what is the thing he's told you to do? Whether it's the last thing or the next thing, you have to ask yourself, do you trust God enough to start when you don't know where it will end up or how long it will take to get there or what kind of struggle it will be in the meantime? Do you trust God enough to take that step of faith, to step out and take that step of faith. Do you trust him enough? Do you trust him? What's the thing God's given you to do? Maybe you need to trust God for the first time. Maybe this is your first opportunity to trust God. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And you need to believe, have that trust and faith for the very first time today. Then you can click, if you're watching online, there's a link right below me that says, I made a decision. Click on that and tell us about that decision. If you're in the room, on our website, right there at the top, uh, there's a card. that says, I made a decision. You click on that. You tell us about that decision. That, 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 when you submit that form, it comes right to my email. I'm the one who will contact you. Pastor of the church, I will contact you. This week, if you fill out that form. There's also, you can also fill out a prayer request there, and that also comes straight to my email, and I pray for that, and we'll get back to you on that. So you can fill that out there and tell us about what God is doing to you. Do you trust God at all? Do you want to trust him for the first time? Or maybe there is something in you that you need to trust God with. What is the box he's telling you to build? What is the step he's telling you to take? What is the very last thing he's told you to do? Do that thing until he tells you to do something else. Don't shortcut God's process, and in so doing, shortchange his purpose for you. Walk into what God has for you. Step into it. Run into it full speed and see what God can do. Noah did, and as a result, he not only saved his family, he changed the entire course of human history. Because he was willing to faithfully follow God's direction. Are you today?